Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So just a reminder that on March 14th, we're going to be doing another one of, uh, we've named them now, it's Coffee Clutch with Kate. And it's basically an open Q&A and you can register for it. You need to register because um, for, you know, privacy purposes, obviously. So you can do that. Uh, There's a link in the show notes where you can do that. And, um, and I'll, and it'll be posted on social media and stuff so you can find it somehow. Um, So again, March 14th, uh, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, and you can submit your questions in advance as well um, through the link. If you register, you'll get all the information. And the last one was really successful and really great, so I hope to continue to be uh, doing these things for you guys. Um, today, I have with me, uh, God, amazing, amazing guest, Josh Kirschenbaum. He is a dedicated peacemaker with extensive training and experience in both mediation and collaborative law. Before practicing law, Josh was a public school teacher in Newton, Massachusetts, and he was a special ed teacher. And so his specialty is now in helping people uh, with uh, kids with special needs and or disabilities navigate the divorce process and create uh, parenting plans that will go on to encompass needs, not just right now, but well into the future. He earned certifications in both negotiation and mediation at Harvard Law School's program on negotiation and trained in divorce and family mediation with mediation luminaries. Forrest, Woody Mostyn, and our friend Susan Guthrie at the Mostyn Guthrie Academy, where he's now on the training faculty. Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Josh Kirschenbaum. Josh, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited for this conversation. I think it's a really important one for so many people. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so delighted to be here and I'm really, thank you so much for seeing the importance of this topic and for devoting a whole episode to it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. First of all, uh, we are talking really about getting divorced or navigating divorce or even making the decision to get divorced when you have kids with either special needs or disabilities, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do we, what do we mean? How do we define, um, special needs, disabilities? How, how would you define that in this, in this context? Such a good question. And, you know, I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I, and I think that a lot of your listeners will appreciate it as well. We hear all of these terms and everybody has their favorites and some people have terms that they really don't like. Um, so it's good to mm-hmm. talk about that, like right up front. Um, I use, um, I try to use what I call person centric terms, like mm-hmm. children with special needs or children with disabilities. And for me, um, I think what's important for people to understand is I use those terms really broadly. Um, I, um, you know, I've spent my whole professional life working with families who have children with special needs and disabilities, and I have tried out different terms and, and words, and I've heard people use lots of different ones. And I've sort of come to these because to me, they feel the most inclusive and they feel the most respectful of the people that I'm working with. Um, mm-hmm. And what I try to tell people is, listen, when I use those words, I'm casting the largest, widest, biggest embrace possible um, to include everything from 
physical and medical conditions to mental health and emotional issues to educational and learning and cognitive issues, um, social issues, anything, any challenges that that people might be facing, that children might be facing in any uh, aspect of their life. I use it really broadly. Um, not everybody does. And, and clearly, it's really important to ask what people mean when, when they use those terms. So um, I just want people to know that um, I'm coming from a place of great respect for the people that I work with and the children and families that I work with. And so whatever terms I use, um, I hope people hear it as inclusively and as respectfully as possible. I love that. I mean, I love the, I love the um, sort of attention to the detail of the, of the language, right? Because uh, I think it is important to be inclusive in this way. And um we <laughs> we yeah. live in a time where that's sort of increasingly difficult or put on, you know, on blast or whatever. So you and I are on the same page on all that. Absolutely. It's it it goes beyond that, even. You know, it goes beyond just the, the respect issue. You know, a lot of parents don't necessarily ever think or hear that their child might have a disability or mm-hmm. might have special needs. A lot of parents. I think don't necessarily think along those lines and right. that's okay unless not thinking along those lines kind of makes your life and your situation more complicated or more difficult or or maybe keeps you from accessing services and supports that would be really useful to you. And so I try to encourage people to keep an open mind about it and maybe consider uh, whether or not, you know, maybe your child does have some needs that are worth paying attention to in the divorce process, for example, or um, perhaps they need supports and services that they're not getting in school. So I just, I, I ask people to consider, even if you've never thought of your child as having special needs or disabilities, you know, as we have this conversation, think about whether this conversation is still maybe very relevant and important to you, um, whether anybody's yeah. ever diagnosed your child with anything or not. Um, well, and a- also, I think it's also a good preemptive thing, right? Like, because if you're getting divorced or you're considering getting divorced and your kid is young, right. you have no idea what might be coming down the pike um, in right. terms of, you know, diagnoses or issues or, you know, special needs. I mean, I know that, you know, I think I've told you this before, Josh, that, you know, my ex and I um, had very, very different, uh, you know, I would say that my son had special needs when we mm. were dealing with uh, a very, very severe ADHD diagnosis, which is now right. he's 17. And it is now confirmed that he has that, you know, really confirmed, objectively confirmed that this is a very severe diagnosis to the degree that we had to actually pull him out of school his senior year. What's hilarious to me is that I would, when he was eight, nine, I would use the term special needs. I would say, you know, our son has special needs and my ex would get so angry about it. And he would be like- This is very common. Yeah. And he'd be like, how can you say that he has special needs? That's like, that makes him sound like he's, you know, and he's like, he would say things like, that's an offense to kids, right. to, to parents with kids who have actual special needs. I have one of my best friends has a a son who is very, very severely uh, autistic. And, you know, like that, yes. like he's like, that's an affront to, to this friend. And I was like, mm, actually, she's pretty, she's pretty clear that our son actually has these special needs. It's a great point to bring up. And a lot of people listening are going to resonate with this because you're, what you're describing is, a, is such a common situation um, where, you know, the parents might not agree, right? right? They might not necessarily see it the same way. And mm-hmm. sometimes the way that comes out is in a disagreement about these labels and these terms. Right. And you, you use the example you gave is so common where mm-hmm. somebody says, but wait, my, my son doesn't have special needs. He, um, he has ADD. And right. another parent might say, well, wait a minute, that is a special need. And some of it, it's interesting. Some of it is kind of regional. I've noticed that there are different, in different parts of the country, these terms seem to mean different things than in oh, others. Interesting. interesting. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In some places, special needs seems to refer more to kind of um, 
almost like educational or de- mm-hmm. uh, or sort of cognitive developmental and uh-huh. disabilities used to refer more to physical. But in other places, the words are used kind of interchangeably. But the kind of important thing that you're raising here is that parents don't always agree about this. And it can be a source of conflict and confusion and contention. And uh, it, in the divorce context, it's a significant challenge. When the parents don't see eye to eye about what the child's needs are, or maybe they do agree that the child has a particular, say, condition, but they don't necessarily agree about how severe it is, or they don't necessarily agree about what to do about it, or whose responsibility it should be to Uh deal with it, right? Right. And I think that sort of in the divorce context, I mean, I, I guess like, how severe it is, how, you know, all of those things are, okay, maybe they're somewhat subjective. But when you're talking about how do we deal with it and what are treatment plans and who's who makes those decisions, those are really big things. Yes, they're really big things. And, they're, and you know, it's, it's fair to point out at this point that these are really big issues for any parents who are getting divorced. Whether they're whether they think their children have special needs or not, the yeah. issue of what of what their children are going to need from them as parents is an enormous issue in every divorce. It's just that they are can be particularly challenging and particularly important and impactful when the needs of the child are somewhat more complex mm-hmm. and or somewhat more uncertain. Um, so, or that they somehow impact. Uh, more on the individual parents' day-to-day lives. So when I do this work, I'm trying to look at the divorce through the lens of parents who are going through a particular experience with their child. And Mm -hmm. um, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to help the parents think through how the child's needs are going to impact the decisions that they're going to be making during the divorce process. So, um, you know, one thing that I, that, kind of rings in my ears since the very beginning when I first started doing this work. When your when your um, ex-husband said something like, what do you mean he has special needs? Mm-hmm. On some level, we might say everybody has special needs. All needs are special, right? Everybody's unique, right? right? Everybody's mm-hmm. got their own needs. And you could say that everybody has special needs. Another way to look at it is that everybody has the same needs, which is kind of true, right? I uh-huh, mean, everybody right. on yes. some basic level, right, has the uh-huh. same needs to be safe, right, to be educated, to be healthy, to be loved, to be cared for. We all have those same needs. But where we differ is in perhaps what it's going to take to meet those needs. Yes, I love and that. Yes, that's right. And where mm-hmm. where we also differ, right, is kind of how well set up is the society that we are born into to meet our needs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you are what we, you know, sometimes people use the word typical. I don't particularly love that word, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. who's typical, right? Right. <laughs> what I think of as typical means, well, if you were born into a family, into a community, into a society that was more or less prepared and set up to meet your basic needs, legal system, an educational system, a medical system, right? A family system. Well, then that's a very different experience than if you were born into a world that was not really set up for you, right? Right. It wasn't really set up with you in mind, with your needs and your, um, your differences in mind when they made the rules. Yeah. And when they Such made the system, the entire education system, right? The entire like. education system, for sure. And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, thank you for that. You, you know, I was a special education lawyer for a really long time. So that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah. But you know, it, it's, it's also, Kate, it's also the entire legal system. Uh-huh. And that includes the entire divorce process. Mm. It was not set up, it was not designed. Um, I mean, you could say that the divorce, the legal system for divorce wasn't set up well for anybody. And I would Mm -hmm. agree with that, but it's particularly badly set up for parents who have children who fall into these categories of having special needs and disabilities, particularly badly set up for them. So what we are trying to do. Can you elaborate on that? Like how so? In, In what way? Because 
the basic fundamental thing is that when you think about divorce, what I think a lot of people don't appreciate is that there's different ways of getting through it. There's different processes. And the legal process of, of like go, literally going to court is going to be based on, it's basically a process where you're, you're turning over the decisions to somebody else, mm. a judge, right? Who's going to have to make all kinds of decisions about your family mm-hmm. and about you yep. based on a set of rules and formulas and guidelines and standards that were kind of designed to be more or less one size fit all. That's and then this judge who doesn't know anything about you, doesn't know anything about your family and probably doesn't care a whole lot about one way or the other mm-hmm. is going to take these rather generic rules and is going to try to apply your situation to those generic rules and crank out some kind of a, of an answer because you've come to them to say, you decide this for me. In that sense, anytime there's a one size fits all or a generic outside, you know, unknowing, uncaring decision maker making a decision about a family, the more, the less your family sort of conforms to what they think of as the norm, the less likely it is that the result is going to actually fit your needs. So for <laughs> example, right? So if yeah. they're talking about calculating support you for you, right? Based on a set of factors that don't really consider the impact that your child's needs have on your ability to say, hold, keep and hold a job or work full-time. They're making calculations about what your financial situation is going to be in the future without really considering how your child's needs might change over time and might wind up, you know, for example, requiring special educational services or additional supports. How is How in the world are they going to issue you any kind of, a, of a, an order or, or a result that is going to actually meet your needs? To make it really simple, mm-hmm. if your family, the more unique your family situation is, the more you need to be in control of those decisions Ugh. because no one's yeah. going to understand your needs, your really specific needs and right. your child's really specific needs, right? Better yeah. than you, right. better than you and, and your and your spouse. And you can't expect that judges are going to be trained in special education or, right? Like, I mean, these are things- Well, more than that, Kate, you can expect that they're not. Right. (laughs) Right. You can also expect that they're not going to be trained in domestic violence or any number of things that they have to, that they actually make judgments and rulings on. Um, Right. What Mm -hmm. makes, you know, in the way I see it is, it's almost like what makes these special needs is precisely that. The systems that are in place right now are not going to be well-suited at understanding them and meeting them. And so you need a process. You need to be in a, in a process that is kind of gets as far away from that as you can get. So you want to, you want to have a process that keeps you in control, that allows you to make decisions based on your actual situation and what you actually need and what your child actually needs, where it's not coming from some outside source where you can uh, build in flexibility and creativity into your agreement so that as needs change, so too can your agreement. All sorts of things that you simply can't do in a court-based system, in an adversarial system, but which you can do if you choose a process such as mediation or collaborative divorce that Mm -hmm. keeps you in control, keeps you in the driver's seat, and that enables you to create a child-centric divorce. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which you can't do in court. How do you deal with, because a lot of my listeners are dealing with high conflict um, situations or otherwise known as domestic violence that right. tra- you know translates into the system. They are dealing with people who are actively working against them in this process. How do you recommend that people do their best to protect their children and advocate for their children when they are often not um, being met sort of on the, on the playing field as it were uh, in these uh, decisions and conversations and all of that. Right. Okay. So I guess right off the bat, what we have to sort of acknowledge is that in an ideal world, Mm -hmm. 
a parent would be able to, two parents who are getting divorced would be able to choose a process where they'd work cooperatively together mm-hmm. um, for the best interest of their children to create, you know, an outcome that meets all of their needs. But the reality is um, not every divorce situation is going to uh, be suitable for that kind of a process, right? If you have a situation where one spouse is, is abusing the other or threatening the other or, or harming or, or committing acts of violence against the other, then mediation and collaborative process are, are simply not appropriate. They're simply not appropriate for situations like that because both mediation right. and collaborative are voluntary processes mm-hmm. where, and involuntary in, in means that both spouses are there of their own free will and they're not there under duress or, you know, because somebody literally or figuratively has a gun to their head. So if you're in a situation where your spouse is is actually uh, harming you or threatening you and not in any sense capable of being in any process like mediation or collaborative, Mm -hmm. then there's, it doesn't mean that all hope is lost. I want to be really clear about it. You just have to approach this differently. What I would say there is the best thing that you can do, first of all, is to know that there are people who can help you through the divorce process in addition to your lawyer, right? There are people that can help you through who would just be working with you who could have a lot of knowledge and information about disabilities and about how they affect children and how they affect parents Mm -hmm. to help advise you and your lawyer you know, throughout the, the, the negotiation process, or if you're in litigation throughout the litigation process, you could work with a consultant mm-hmm. who has a lot of knowledge about um, what the intersections are between your divorce process and uh, your special needs parenting. So that person could just work with you yeah. and could right. help help you figure out what are the good questions to ask your lawyer or for your lawyer to be asking you. This is mm-hmm. what I do. So right, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, sidebar, so, P.S. Yeah. <laughs> this is Josh. And, and in, fairness, look, I, in fairness, there's not like there's a million people out there doing this kind of work. This right. is pretty, mm-hmm. this is pretty new. Like I'm, I'm kind of starting to work with, like, this is just starting. I, I mean, I just, yes. this whole idea of a special needs divorce, the intersection between special needs parenting and divorce is really new. Um, but I can help people either myself or I can I help connect people mm-hmm. to resources and other professionals who have um really sophisticated backgrounds in helping parents helping families navigate complicated decisions about financial planning about um you know about how to prepare you know to, to negotiate properly for spousal support all kinds of things you know there are going to be some complicated questions that may come up about education about the child's educational needs. Yeah. So there's lots of questions that come up in anyone's divorce process, whether you are in an adversarial one or whether you are in a cooperative one, there's a lot of questions. And the first thing that I want every parent to know is that you cannot possibly do this alone. You can't answer all of these questions alone. Um, You need a team. You really do need a team to get through this. Again, whether you, no matter which process you're going through, you're going to need a lot of folks helping you. And those people need to have a certain degree of, of experience and um, knowledge about special needs parenting. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, one of the ways I help people is either to be that source of information and to be that source of support or to connect them with folks in their area who, who can do that, whether they're financial planners whether they are divorce coaches, whether they are special education advocates, um, whether they are uh, care advisors or care planners, you know, like, because some people, one of their big questions is like, I don't know how much it's going to cost to care for my kid over the course of their life. You know, their, right. their disability is lifelong and it could get worse. And um, what happens when they become an adult? You know, there's so many questions that impact not just the now, but the future. There are professionals out there whose job it is Whose, whose profession it is to advise parents about this in the, during the divorce process. And I can help people find them. And these are called care advisors, right? If people who are listening yeah. and they're like, wait, what is that? So this yeah, is- like, what is that? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's so a, there ca- are, a care there are, advisor. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are care. So they go by different names. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that can be one of the confusing parts about this is that um, there are different professions. Like one of them would be like a chartered chartered special needs consultant, a CSNC. Um, these are financial advisors and financial planners that have special training and background in um, planning for um, the care of somebody with special needs, children or adults, mm-hmm. right? And of course, children grow up to become adults and many of them will continue to have those special needs. So a chartered special right. needs consultant. There are also special needs planners. So um, there are organizations and, and companies like the, the Academy of Special Needs Planners and the National Care Advisors. These are national networks of professionals who can help people come up with care plans and estimates of costs for, for um, what it's going to take to care for people with all kinds of disabilities and special needs. Um, yeah, so there's so many different types of professionals. Um, it's sort of mind-blowing. Um, one, yeah. of the, one of the things that I help people do is you got to strike that balance, right? You want to get the right people on the team, but you don't want to have so many people on the team that it's chaos, right? So right. I try right. to help people. Yeah, I try to help people figure out what they need and then connect them with the right people to build a team. You know, if if you are fortunate enough to be in a situation where you could do a mediation, a mediated divorce, or you could do a collaborative divorce, those processes are really well designed to let other types of professionals participate in your team process. Mm. They're kind of built for that. Whereas yeah. an adversarial litigation process is is kind mm. of like very lawyer driven, and mm-hmm. not all lawyers are great about you know, letting other people play in the sandbox as it were. Um, (laughs) so, but, but even there, you know, because I'm a lawyer, because I, you know, I just, I happen to, to, to choose this particular path. I can work with people who are in, in whatever types of processes they're in, even if they are just lawyered up and they are at war, um, the chances are the lawyer that you're working with probably does not have an extensive background in special needs the law and in special education law and all of those other things, because right, right. frankly, because lawyers are very specialized. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, but I can, but I can be a good, uh, good interface uh, between, mm-hmm. you know, with, to help the parents ask, again, ask the right questions, help the lawyers ask the right questions, help them think through strategically kind of how do we have to really think about, for example, how the child's changing needs are mm-hmm. going to affect my, your needs for, for example, changes in alimony and, and support over time or child support over time, right? right. Are the child right. support needs going to continue after the child is 18? Right. right. Um, yeah. How long? Uh-huh. Um, you know, what, what about the, what are there things that, that kind of we're arguing about, for example, you know, like paying for private school that maybe we shouldn't be arguing about at all because the school district should be paying for that. Right? Are, there services right. That, right? are there services that we're currently paying for out of pocket or providing at home that really the child should be getting in school? Mm-hmm. Most divorce lawyers don't know anything about that in the same way that most special education lawyers don't know anything about divorce. Um, it's very rare that you're going to find a lawyer who's going to know all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. even if you mm-hmm. did, there's still going to be things that the lawyer can't do for you that you're going to need. Right. Um, and uh, you know, there could be, there's estate planning needs, right? There's long-term planning um, needs, particularly when you have a child with disabilities, you got to be really careful in how you do your estate plan. You, you might need to set up a special needs trust so that you can actually put money away for your child or enable your child to inherit money without compromising their eligibility for public benefits like Medicaid. Or SSI. This is a very specific, yeah, this is a very specific thing, right? This this special needs trust, which I didn't know about. uh, Yeah, and why would you, right? Mm -hmm. Right, sure, exactly, exactly. And for the people listening, right? For people listening, whether you're going to get divorced or not, if you have a child with um, a disability that would qualify them either now or in the future for public benefits such as Medicaid, right? A Medicaid is health insurance, public health insurance for people with disabilities, but also people with low incomes, sometimes children with disabilities, depending on, it varies from state to state exactly how it works. But bottom line is there are governmental programs for people with disabilities that provide very valuable, sometimes insurance, sometimes actually money benefits 
um, like SSI for you know for people who who can't work because they they have uh, disabilities and they have low income. So you want to make sure that if your child or your or the your adult son or daughter who's eligible for these things, if those programs require that the person have under a certain amount of money or income or assets, which they do, mm-hmm. then what happens if you are not careful and your life insurance policy is in your kid's name and God forbid you pass away and then your kid inherits this money and now all of a sudden they're not eligible for public benefits anymore. And that could happen when, you know, 20 years from now, after, you know, when they're an adult and they're, that could be a huge problem. Every state um, has a law that basically says you're allowed to set up what's called a special needs trust. And basically it's, if it's set up by someone who knows what they're doing and it has to be done right, it allows you to put money into a, basically it's an account. It's a, it's a, it's a trust fund essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's managed by someone called a trustee, which could be some, either someone you pick or it can be um, sometimes there are um, corporate uh, you know professional trustees who manage this and make sure that the money is used for the benefit of the, the beneficiary, the person with the disabilities the money that's in those accounts is not going to be counted toward the child's eligibility or the adult's eligibility for public benefits. It's sort of walled off. It's screened away. And it's a way that you can, through estate planning, careful estate planning, protect your son or daughter's current and future eligibility for valuable public benefits, but still be able to make sure that you're putting money aside or that you're providing for um for your son or daughter, mm-hmm. you know, even after you're gone. So it, yeah. this is, again, it's the kind of thing where if you didn't, you know, if the people that you were working with, your divorce lawyer didn't know anything about this, or even your mediator didn't know anything about this, nobody might ever say anything about it. Right. And you'd never know. And then you go ahead and get divorced and you never do this. And you don't even realize that there's kind of this ticking bomb out there that, you know, yeah. if, 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 uh, if grandma you know, leaves money in her will to your kid and they don't leave it into the trust instead, that could be a real problem for your kid down the road. So that's just one example of kind of a little landmine that's out there that people don't really know is there. And it's why it's so important that you build a team of people that has a lot of experience working with families that are in your situation. Because if you've been working with people who have disabilities, you're much more likely to know about Medicaid and social, and social security and special education and all kinds of other things that others just might not know about. So it's why that that's why it's so important. And now for a quick word from our sponsor, the all new fully revised, should I stay or should I go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all-new version has all-new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules, the first of which is Who Are You? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted? And breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. Module five is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. 
And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. It cannot be overstated how important it is to look at the long-term needs of your children because, you know, and even, I don't know, even if you feel like they're not, even if, even if their disabilities are perhaps not as severe, right? I mean, look, if you have a child who has, let's say, you know, cerebral palsy and you know that this is a lifetime um, caretaking uh, job, uh, you know, as a parent, then perhaps it's a little bit more obvious that like, no, I'm actually going to need support for a lot longer because I'm not going to be able to work. Um, and I am going to have to be, I am the primary caretaker. So therefore I'm going to need support for longer. But even, you know, even in my situation, right, my son is a, is 17 and a half in July, he turns 18, his all support stops this kid lives with me full time and I am a hundred percent responsible for all of his care, his feeding, his right. And when that sort of, when I go over that cliff, I'm even looking at that going, well, shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and granted, you know, we got divorced when he was three. We didn't know anything <laughs> about right. who he would become or, you know, whatever. And, you know, he's probably going to be here for another couple of years. And that's yeah. amazing and wonderful, but also expensive. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, well, look, your, your point is absolutely right, which is mm -hmm. we really want people to plan, try to plan ahead as much as they can or think about the future as much as they can. But, but you hit the nail on the head when you said it, you, it's impossible to know yeah. what things are going to be like, you know, even for you know, even in the example you gave of a child with cerebral palsy, we don't mm -hmm. know necessarily, don't know. right? You know how the needs are going to change exactly. So the point I want to make here, and I think this really applies to everybody. Honestly, it applies to everybody, even if they don't even have kids at all. But it really matters when you have kids, and it really matters when you have kids with special needs and you're going through divorce. Which is this: to the extent that you can build an agreement, a divorce agreement. That has flexibility built into it. Mm -hmm. That will serve you very well. Yeah. So this is one of the main reasons why mediation and collaborative divorce mm -hmm. are so advantageous yeah. when you can do that because it gives you the ability to create an agreement that has built into it provisions that say, here's what we're going to do. If the needs change, if our situations change and we find ourselves needing different things than we need today as we sit here getting divorced. Yes. So building in a process that at the very least says, if we get to a point where we have to change this agreement or one of us feels we really need to change this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to agree, for example, to come back to mediation mm -hmm. or we're going to agree not to initiate court proceedings right away. But we're going to try to um, engage in some sort of peaceful dispute resolution process. Yeah. Even just that is so valuable because, you know, change is inevitable for everybody. When you're dealing with a situation where perhaps maybe the parents don't agree or we don't know or nobody seems to really totally understand exactly what the child's needs are going to be, you, you know, despite your best efforts, you want to have a process that lets you avoid a situation where in the future, one or both of you is stuck 
with an agreement that made sense 10 years ago, but no longer makes sense now that the needs have changed so much. Yeah. Well, we didn't expect that this that this was going to get so much worse that one of us is not going to be able to work mm-hmm. or will not mm-hmm. be able to have a full-time job. And now suddenly my income earning capacity has changed. Yeah. And I don't want to have to take you to court and sue you, <laughs> right? Or, yeah. or I don't want to have to feel like I have to go, I'm going back on my agreements mm-hmm. or that we're somehow mm-hmm. breaking the promise again, right? Yeah. Because that's need to re-traumatize yourself. You could you could create an agreement that says, listen, we acknowledge sitting here right now that we might come to a point where we feel we have to change things. No, we don't necessarily know sitting here right now, but here's what we'll do. We will come back together and we will talk about it and we will work with a mediator. Maybe, you know, if we had a good experience with this mediator, maybe we'll come back to the same one, right? Yeah. We'll at least right. give ourselves the op- opportunity, the option of avoiding a really expensive, unpleasant, uncertain process down the road. When, mm-hmm. when by definition, we're not going to be in a really great state of mind to be dealing with something like that. Just that alone, flexibility. One of the things that I help people do with those agreements is I help them think about what are the criteria that we're going to use to make decisions going forward? Right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to acknowledge mm-hmm. right now that our child's needs, the severity of those needs, the impact of those needs on us and our time and our employment, we're going to say that those matter so that down the road, if one of us comes back and says, hey, you know, I think we need to revisit this agreement, they'll be able to say, and remember when we agreed, remember when we agreed that our child's needs could change and that would be a reason to come back together, that is such a gift that you're giving to yourself in the future to Mm -hmm. say, we're already agreeing that this matters and it's going to matter 10, 20 years from now too. It could matter. We're agreeing on the criteria. We're agreeing on that it's appropriate. It's okay to come back and say, hey, we need to revisit this. And just think about the difference between coming out of a divorce with an agreement like that and one that doesn't even where you never had any such conversations. And the only option you're going to have is 10 years down the road to either be stuck in with whatever agreement you had, you know, that you made at the time mm-hmm. or to go to court. Right. Or to like, you know, hope that your, your ex, your co-parent actually agrees with you. Right. I mean, because right. that's, it's right. a, it's a, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, um, even exactly. in the most amicable of divorces, you still have, like I said before, these subjective uh, views of what what a special need might be, or how much uh, how much extra right. care they might need. Right? I mean, it's like so having this worked out. What it sounds like it does is instead of having your divorce decree be sort of a closed or dead document, right? Right. It keeps it as a living document. It keeps it as something that is, that we're able to reopen if and when necessary. Exactly right, Kate. And, you know, this is, this is really actually the key to what we call a child-centered divorce, right? You want a process that's ultimately going to acknowledge and respect the fact that your life as co-parents, your child's relationship with you and their other parents is going to continue after this divorce is over. There is a whole lifetime. There's several lifetimes that are going to happen after the judge stamps the document that says you're officially divorced because you're not going to stop being parents. And you know, part of doing that right, part of doing a child-centered divorce right is to have a process that acknowledges and prepares for the fact that the decisions that you're making today during this process are going to have an impact afterwards. Right. And that life is going to change. People are going to change. Circumstances are going to change afterwards. So we don't want to do anything during this process that's going to really hamstring us down the road later if we can avoid it. We want to have the benefits of this cooperative process extend and continue on afterwards. And that's right. Big piece of that is that flexibility. It's that, you know, keep it alive, you know, keep uh let's have a process that uh that enables us to continue respecting each other and our children even after we're divorced. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's, and you know, whether your kids have special needs or not, right. I love the idea that, um, of having a clause or something in there that says that you will agree to maybe look at this in a year or every, or five years, you know, maybe yes. it's one year, five years, then 10 years to that. You're going to keep coming back to this. Is our co-parenting agreement working is the, I will tell you if I had to, I mean, I've been divorced for almost 15 years. Um, And so if I were to, I, I mean, I can't even imagine what's in my co-parenting agreement at this point because my ex and I are able to work together uh, mm-hmm. to work for what's in the best interest of our child moment to moment, right? Over the last, you know, 14 and a half years. But if I had to look at that document and go through like what it actually said, I would probably, I would probably laugh, <laughs> you know, yeah. that we would be locked into this thing for life that we wrote when he was three. They should all be revisited, right? We yeah. should all have these, these periods of being, of revisiting at least the parenting agreement, not the entire divorce decree, because Lord knows that could open a can of of horrendous worms, but at least the co-parenting agreement. And if you need to, you also agree that you'll do so with a co-parenting coordinator. And there are so many of them out there, um, you know, many of whom you and I work with and know. Um, yeah. that to work with a co-parenting coordinator to to you know just sit down in two years is this working what do we need to read what do we need to rework yeah and that's powerful thinking about th- this idea of building in a a period of time to say we are going to come back and talk about this in a year or in two years think about how powerful that is when you are one of the toughest things about the going through the divorce process is this constant feeling that the stakes are so high. What if we get this wrong? What if I agree to something that, that is not actually going to meet my needs that it is so scary to think that, you know, you're somehow etching things in stone. That's That's what, that's one of the greatest sources of stress that people have going through the divorce process. Right. That's right. um, But to say, listen, Oh, and the other thing is that, makes agreements really difficult to reach. So if every if both people think about this, if you're, yeah, you're negotiating right. with, with someone else and mm-hmm. both of you feel like you are going to be literally signing an agreement that's etched in the stone tablet, think about how much harder it's going to be to get both sides to agree on anything. Right. Because the stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. But what if the stakes don't have to be quite that high? Mm-hmm. What if you're what if what you're talking about is this is what we're going to agree to for the next year. Or the next two years. I mean, you don't have to, I mean, think your blood pressure just goes down just hearing that, right? I mean, yeah. It's way easier to get an agreement if it's for a shorter period of time. Now, the flip side of that is many people are very much wanting total closure. Yeah, that's right. That's that what I was gonna thinking, say. Right. A few people's, many people's blood pressure went up when they were like, wait, I have to do this again in two years. Right. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> But that's why working with a, this is what a skillful mediator or a skillful collaborative um, professional team can really help people with is, is really striking the right balance there, Mm -hmm. you know, between building in, right. Building in enough security and enough closure and enough um, assurance, but also enough flexibility. This is an art and the judges in, in family courts are not skilled in this art. No, they're not. That is not at all. But a good team of peacemakers, of collaborative professionals, of mediators, of co-parenting specialists can actually help you do this. It can be done because really it's about what you guys need. What what does security and certainty mean to you? Mm -hmm. And what flexibility do you need at the same time? Because really both of those are strong interests and creating agreements that meet everybody's interests is what mediators do. And it's what collaborative uh, professionals do. Those processes are really designed to help parents identify what the what's really important to them, their interests, right, and help them create agreements that meet them better yes. than any of the alternatives, right? So, right. can be done, but yep. unfortunately, I think most people never get the opportunity even 
to experience or even try to create agreements like this because most people who go through divorce very quickly wind up on a fast track to court. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's just, it's, it's the hardest for me. It's just the hardest thing about this whole system is that yes. people very understandably pick up the phone, call a lawyer and 99 times out of a hundred, the lawyer that they call knows one way to resolve a divorce, which is pretty adversarial. And they never even mention, or they never even, he- the person never even hears about mediation as an option. They never even hear about collaborative um, divorce, which does not involve going to court at all. And so they just very quickly wind up on an adversarial track, never even knowing the other paths that were available to them. I try to hammer this into everyone's heads as much as I possibly can, which is that the when people say, okay, I guess I, you know it's time to get divorced or whatever, the first thing they do is call an attorney. Um, and then they immediately get sucked into yeah. this into this adversarial system. And it, yeah. you know, you should have a consultation with a turn attorney so that you know that w- what your rights are. And then you should work as much as possible towards mediation or collaborative. Um, and if you're doing me- mediation, you should have a consulting attorney again because yes. the mediator is a neutral. They are not there to advise you. They are just there to help you come to consensus with your part, with your, you know, the opposite or whatever, your, your soon to be ex. So important. You're giving great advice there. Great advice. Um, which I'm everybody who's listening to this is going to benefit from that. I mean, there's nothing that I would like more than to be the first person that a parent who has a child with disabilities, who's thinking about divorce to be mm-hmm. the first person that that person calls. Yeah. Not because I, I mean, I don't represent people in court anymore. I, I don't, I don't really do a lot of representation as a lawyer at all. I work as a mediator. I work as a collaborative, a consultant to collaborative teams. I consult with parents who have kids with disabilities in terms of navigating um, finding other professionals and things like that. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I don't want them to call me first because I want to be their lawyer. I right. don't. No. Um, and most of the time I couldn't, even if I wanted to be, because they're calling me from someplace other than Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> I want to be there first because I want to tell them about these different options yes. so that they can make, so they can get on the right track early on. You know, it's actually one of the reasons why therapists are among the most important people out there in terms of spreading the word, if there are any therapists listening, Mm -hmm. um, folks who work with people that are um, in marital conflict or who are contemplating divorce, it's actually, they're the ones that are in the best clergy people, right? Therapists, clergy people, doctors. They're um, sort of the front line. Yeah, the front line. These are the people that really need to be telling folks, hey, you know, there's actually multiple ways of doing this. There are processes that keep you in control of the outcome, Mm -hmm. right? There are processes that keep you out of court that are more efficient, that are less expensive, right? You know, we didn't mention this, but it's worth, it's worth saying kind of obvious, but you know, the, the cost of the process matters a lot and it matters more to parents who have kids with disabilities because your, your resources are even more constrained. You, You know, the dollars that you are spending fighting in court are dollars that you could be spending um, helping your kid get what she needs. That's right. And that's, uh, it's just as stark as that. So having an efficient process, right? Having one that uh, that doesn't waste resources is of extreme value to folks whose resources are under extreme uh, pressure. And yeah. parents who have kids with disabilities are under among, are people who are among the, the most pressured financially of anybody. It could be the biggest reason why choosing one of these processes is better. The other thing I I, I really want to just I want to if you don't mind just hop back to no, something yeah, you said earlier. Uh huh. You know I think a lot of people listening might be thinking to themselves, "Wow, mediation sounds great. Collaborative process sounds great, but there's no way in my case, there's no way my spouse would ever be willing or able to do something like that." Our situation is either too complex or we disagree too much 
maybe some people feel that they're in a high conflict situation. That term gets used, you know, a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And I want people to know something here, which is that mediation and collaborative process are not just for the quote, easy cases. That's right. They're not. They're not. It's totally true that they're not appropriate in situations where there's violence and threats and uh, you know extreme situations where it would be impossible for both people to be there voluntarily. Right. But there's but there's a lot of other cases, a lot, <laughs> where there's yep. plenty of conflict, plenty of conflict. People yes. disagreeing completely about what the kids needs. One parent thinks the kid has autism. The other one thinks the kid is perfectly fine. You're, there's all kinds of situations that are loaded with conflict that actually could do very well in mediation or a collaborative, in the right collaborative team. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people, I really, I don't want people to feel like they have to basically have this uh, utopian situation of, oh, my, uh, me and my ex, we, you know, we yeah. get along great and, you know, things just didn't work out. We grew apart, everything's, but we really, you know, we get along just fine and we can do mediate. No. No, I mean, that's wonderful. If you're in that situation, great. Yeah, mediation and collaborative would be awesome. But you can have a lot of conflict and mm-hmm. still benefit from and be able to access a mediator or a collaborative team. Absolutely. And those professionals should be able to, they'll, they'll do a screening in the beginning, right? We'll do a screening in the beginning to help make sure that you're not in one of those situations that would make it inappropriate to be there. What I really want people to think is assume just just give yourself the benefit of the doubt, even if you kind of don't believe it. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt early on that maybe one of these processes could work. And let the mediator and the collaborative team be the ones to help you figure out whether whether it's not. And Josh, I love that you said all of that. It is so, I think that is so important. And I want to add to that. The number of emails I get or messages or whatever, where people say like, my case is really unique and it's really different Mm -hmm. and it's not, (laughs) it's not, it's not, and it is right. It's both. It's both, right? Yes. Every, every case is unique. Every case is unique, every Every case case is unique, unique, but there's very little that those of us working in this profession have not heard before or dealt right. with before in some combination or whatever. And it feels unique to you because you have never gotten divorced before, or if you have, mm. it was different, right? Right. To us, it's like, we're like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Totally. Yep. We get it. We get the world of it in, you know, in 30 seconds. Yeah. This I, is what we do all day, every day. <laughs> right. And, you know, look, I, I really do feel that 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 sentiment that my situation is unique, it needs to be acknowledged that mm. that is both true. Yes. You are right. It's true. You are you are in a unique situation. Nobody else is in your marriage. That's right. No, or nobody else is in your relationship. Nobody else That's has right. your kids. Nobody else has your situation. And that alone is a good reason, if possible, to choose a process that keeps you and your partner in the driver's seat. Yes. Because, right. Because right. You, it is unique. It is. And right. no, no right. judge is going to care nearly as much or know nearly as much about your situation as you guys will. That's number That's one. Right. Yep. Number two is there are a lot of things about your situation that feel unique, mm-hmm. but you are not alone. That's right. Your situation is unique, but you're not alone. Many people have been through similar situations, have been confronted with similar challenges, have been experiencing similar emotions. So you can feel validated in the truth that yes, your situation is unique, but you but you're not isolated. You're not alone. And it work and when you are a parent of a kid with disabilities, those are the those are very similar sentiments that come up all the time. There's this yes. feeling of, yeah, my kid is really unique. Yes. And you're right. Your kid is really unique. And even if your kid has the same diagnosis as the kid next door, there's still going to be loads of differences between the two kids, right? The, yep. that not everybody right. with autism is the same. Not every two kids with cerebral palsy is the same, obviously. That's right. It can yeah. be very uh sometimes I think parents they're the parents who have kids with disabilities struggle with this all the time, which is that people um their child their children get labeled. Mm-hmm. And they that other people will make 
assumptions or judgments or about what their kid needs or who their kid is based on that label. Yeah. So right. I want to, this probably is the biggest reason why it's important that professionals who are helping people through divorce have training and experience working with families who have kids with disabilities because mm. all parents, but particularly these parents, they need to be understood. They need to be heard. They need to yeah. be, they, 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 they need people working with them who know or can empathize with or appreciate what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I mean, this to me That's is right. when people ask me, why do I do this work? Or how did I even come to do this work in the first place? Well, it's pretty straightforward. All of the work that I've done is as a special education lawyer, as a teacher, um, as a, as a mediator, it's all been with families who have kids with disabilities. Those have been the families that I've been just worked with for a very, very long time. And the thing that's really jumped out at me over the years is that the more families that I worked with who were in situations like this, the more I was able to show the next family that I get it. Yep. I get it. I yeah. get it. You're, I, I know I'm going to learn. I'm going to, I'm going to appreciate your unique situation, but my work with other families that have gone through similar things is going to help me help you. You're going to feel understood. You're going to feel appreciated and respected for what you're going through and for the challenges that you have, because I'm going to, because I've been through it with many, many other families. When you can build a team of, of professionals, whether they be lawyers or divorce coaches or financial advisors, all these other people that help folks through divorce. The dream is that each and every one of those people will have lots of experience working with families who have kids with disabilities so that they will appreciate what these families are going through, that they'll mm-hmm. understand it. They'll know what questions to ask. They'll know yeah. what resources to connect people to. They'll be able to spot those issues. They'll be able to sort of validate the emotions and the experiences that these families are going through because they have experience with it. Yeah. If there's a huge difference when you work with when you work with a professional who's never worked with a family that has a kid with a disability before, that person is is they may be great, maybe they be one, they might be wonderful, they might just knock it out of the park on the first shot, but the chances are they're not really going to get it That's the right. way somebody who has either been through it themselves or has worked with lots of families who have been through it is going to get it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you deserve a team, you deserve professionals who get you. Who appreciate the uniqueness of your situation, but also can relate to the things that other families have gone through and can use that to help you because you don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. That's right. right? There's a lot of people that have walked this before and that's a great comfort to parents. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Before we sign off, do you work with, you know, is there a, I mean, obviously as an attorney, you can only work with people in Pennsylvania. Um, or the states that you're licensed in, but in this work, in in this sort of advising uh, mm-hmm. work, you can work with people all over. Anyway, yes, that that's the, that's the beautiful part of it. In fact, mediators. This is kind of an interesting thing. Mediators can work with folks all over the country. They're mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. most financial advisors can as well. Mm-hmm. And I, as a consultant, as a special needs consultant, I can work with people all over the country. Great. It's true. The only the only way in which I'm sort of restricted to Pennsylvania is if I'm working as a lawyer. Okay. Right. So okay, that's great. that's another great thing. It's a, by the way, another great thing is that I I hope that that encourages more professionals to want to do this work because mm. it opens up a whole world, a whole country of possibilities. Yes, right. Right. Of mediators. Yeah. Hey, mediators out there that are listening. You can work with people all over the country doing mm-hmm. this work. And, and you should be trained by yeah. Boston Guthrie <laughs> Institute. Yes, absolutely. Susan, well, Susan thank you Guthrie. for that. Yep, absolutely. Where can people find you that want to talk to you or hire you? Or Yeah, or, the yeah. best way to reach me is by email first. And then okay. if you shoot me an email, um, I'll connect with you and we can set up a Zoom and talk and we can go from there. I'm sure you'll put this in the link, but if you if you want my email address, it's it's jkirschenbaum at gmail.com, J-K-E-R-S-H-E-N-B as in boy, A-U-M as in Matthew, at gmail.com. And yeah, Kate, if you put that in the description, then people yep. can just reach out to me. And 
and we'll set up a Zoom and we'll talk. I love it. I love it. I have a feeling you might be um, inundated. So <laughs> you're good. It would be. It's my pleasure. I I talk with people with parents all over the country um, about these issues all the time. And some look. Sometimes the best thing I can do is is help them connect with people in their area. Find help them find resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Help them think of those questions that they never even realized they needed to ask. That's right. Um, people don't know what they don't know. You know, when you have a kid. You know, they say they never hand you an owner's manual. And when you have a kid with disabilities, they sure never hand they you an owner's sure manual as well. sure as hell do not. Oy but what I can do is, you know, I I don't have an owner's manual for your kid, but I can I can help you get close to that, which is help you find the people, help you connect with the folks that are going to give you the get you the answers to those questions that you need, help you ask the right questions to the teams that you're working with, and help you think through um, what path would be best for you and your partner to be on as you go through divorce. And this is also, if you even if you don't wind up getting divorced, um, just to help, to help you get on the right track, help you get on the right path. Great. Josh, thank you so much. This is just such an incredible wealth of information. And I know that it's going to be really well received by my audience. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kate. And uh, what a gift you've given your, your audience by dedicating some time to this topic that so few people really talk about. So thank you for that. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.